Well, good morning. Uh, you can do so much better than that. Good morning. We are glad you guys are here this morning. You know, today we're going to wrap up our series, Getting the Story Straight, as we think through and we've been going through the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And so as we started this series, we began going through chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so this last week, I've really spent some time thinking about what the journey we've been on. And I just want to just kind of be honest and tell you the kind of conclusion that I have come to, all right? The conclusion that I came to rereading Matthew 5 and 6 and now into 7 is this, is that following Jesus is really kind of hard. Would you agree with that? Now, come on, here all my life, here's what I've heard. Salvation is free, and it is, amen? Aren't you glad of that? But following Jesus costs you everything. So when I read 5 and 6 and 7, here's what I'm reminded is that, I, 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 that salvation is free, but the standard he calls me to is a standard that is, that is something oftentimes I'm not willing to give into. And so following Jesus, if you really took chapters 5 and 6 and part of 7 into really consideration, what you'd find out is this, that following Jesus is not really an easy thing to do. In fact, can I, I'm going to be super honest. Cameron, can we get these lights on here? I'm not sure what happened. We can get those on. Uh, I'm super honest, I would say this. There's some things that Jesus said, I wish he hadn't even said it. Right? Anybody like that with me? Come on. Anybody else like that? Like when he talks about loving your enemies? That's not something I'm jacked up about doing. How about you? This whole anger thing? I mean, I kind of like you when I'm angry because I feel like it's righteous anger. But he's like, tells me how to deal with my anger. What about lust? What about... And then he got into finances. Whoa, what are you thinking here? I mean, there's some things that he says that part of me goes, I just wish he hadn't said it. Here's why. Because the things that Jesus says calls me out. Doesn't it call you out? It calls us to a standard of living that many of us don't want to buy into. And listen, here's the worst part. Here's really why I wish Jesus hadn't said some of this. It's because it exposes the selfishness and the wickedness of my own heart. Yikes, right? But here's where I conclude too as I read 5, 6, and 7. That's still what Jesus has called us to live by, right? That's still the standard that he wants us to live by. So if you have something against your brother, before you offer something to the Lord, go make it right. If there's lust in your heart, deal with it extremely. If there's finances, remember, you are not an owner. You are just simply a manager. If it comes to dealing with a believer who has sin in their life, make sure you take the what out of your eye? The log before you go take the spell. I mean, the fact of the matter is whether we like what Jesus said or not, whether we think he should have said it or not, it does not matter. At the end of the day, this is the standard he's called us to live by. And if we're going to be salt and light, as he called us, this is how we're to live. Now, today he does kind of the same thing. He deals with the topic, and, and it really he kind of leaves it to the end, which the reason he leaves it to the end is because it is the most important topic of all. It's the topic of salvation. Now, the reason I think Jesus left it to the end is because he's on this mountainside, and he's teaching these people, and he starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's kind of giving you an idea of what it means to follow him. And then he gets into some specific areas, like anger and lust and divorce and oaths and loving your enemies. And then he gets into finances. And then he moves into this idea of how we treat other believers who are in known sin. And then at the very end of chapter 7, he deals with salvation. And I think the reason he does is because at the end of this sermon, he knows there's going to be a group of people who are going to walk away from there going, okay, I am all in. I believe it. I think you're the Christ, the Son of God. I am all in. And however you tell me to live, as difficult as that is, I am all in. There was that group of people. 
But then there's also going to be a group of people who heard all that Jesus had to say. You know what? I want to follow you, but I'm just not sure if I can do all the things that you called me to do. See, Jesus knew there were going to be some really authentic followers that come out of that crowd. But he also knew that there were going to be some pretenders that came out of that crowd as well. And so Jesus sets the story straight in Matthew 7, and here's what he does. He talks about the path of salvation, he talks about the evidence of salvation, and he talks about the truth of salvation. To me, everybody look right here, to me, this is one of the passages that keeps me up at night when I read it. It is so intense, as we will get to in a minute, and it causes me to think so deeply that, man, it really sometimes just wrecks me. And I hope it does the same for you today. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. And first of all, we're going to start with Jesus talking about the path of salvation. He says this in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Leads to what? I say like you mean, leads to what? Okay, now we all got it. He said, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate that is narrow and the way is hard that leads to what? Life. And those who find it are few. Now he says there's two kinds of gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. And he tells us a little bit about both gates. First of all, the wide gate. You know what he says about the wide gate? It's wide, right? It's broad. And he says that many people go through that. Now, when I thought about this and I started thinking, how do you illustrate this wide gate imagery? The best example I'd come up with is New York. Anybody ever been to New York before? Okay. I remember the first time I went to New York, I was on a mission trip. And that evening, the first night of the mission trip, they said we could go to Times Square and kind of tour this, that part of the city uh, before the next morning doing missions. And I remember coming up out of the subway. And we were on the east side of Times Square, kind of behind this large, large building. And you couldn't see Times Square, but you could see the, 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 the looming light of Times Square. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they were just, it lit up like blocks and blocks and blocks. You could see the light, even though you couldn't see it. And as soon as I turned the corner coming out of the subway and went around the building, there it was. Times Square. These massive TVs with all this lights. The M&M store that was, of course I wouldn't notice that, way down there in the corner. And then my favorite store, they had a four-story Toys R Us. And man, it was lit up like you cannot imagine ever. I mean, it was, when I saw Times Square, I go, wow. I'm from Missouri. I didn't know anything existed like Times Square. It was attractive. It was inviting. That's exactly what the wide gate is. As I think about how we can illustrate the wide gate, here's what I want you to think about. The wide gate is attractive. It's inviting. It has all the bells and the whistles. It looks so good. And so I asked myself this question. If there's a wide gate, and we know where it leads, if there's a wide gate, why are so many people choosing to travel down that path? Right? Why do, Jesus says that, that, that many find it, right? So why are there so many? Well, he tells us here. Look at verse 13. He tells us. He says this. For the gate is wide and the way is what? Easy. Everybody say that with me. Easy. I guess you say it like a southerner right then, right? Easy. It's easy. Now, what do I mean by easy? It's a path of easy beliefism. Hey, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. At the end of the day, all roads lead to the same path. It's a path of good intentions are good enough. 
you know, I want to kind of live for God, and, and that's going to be good enough. I'm going to try my hardest. How many of you said that one before, right? Good intentions. It's also a pathway where there doesn't have to be really any real commitment, and the standard that Jesus had just spent a large portion of the sermon, tell me about it. It's a good standard to kind of model it, but at the end of the day, you don't have to really commit to that. See, the wide gate, the broad path, the reason many find it is it's easy. But where does it lead? He tells it leads to what? Destruction. It leads ultimately to destruction. Now, let's just kind of take that for a minute. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, those of you that think you can follow me, and you don't have to believe a certain standard, you don't have to live in a certain way, that you don't have to abide in a certain way and obey. If those of you that say that you want to follow me, but you want to take this path that is easy, you want to take this path that you don't have to assert your convictions and your belief in me, that you don't have to live by a standard, listen to me, here's where that's heading you. It's not to eternal life, it's to a place of destruction. Now, if you're sitting in the crowd that day, let's go back to that point. Is that a little bit convicting for many of those in the crowd that day? Because how many think people in the crowd that day want to choose the easy path? How many of us want to choose the easy path? And then Jesus kills in the second gate. The second gate is a narrow gate. And he tells us a couple things about this narrow gate. And it's this. The narrow gate, it's narrow, meaning it's not large. It's not heavily trafficked. And he said, few find it. Now, the phrase find it, I want to kind of unpack that for a minute. Because it doesn't mean that God is hiding the path to heaven. So when you're finding something, that's usually because it's lost, right? Or you don't know where it's at. That's not the implication. What Jesus is implying is that few travel it. You've got this wide gate. It's broad. I mean, it's attractive. It's calling your name. I mean, it's got the glitz and the glamours, the bells, the whistles. And you can take that path, and it's easy. You can believe what you want to believe. You, do, you can kind of live as a moral person, but not necessarily commit your life to live as Christ wants. I mean, it's a path. And then you've got this narrow gate, and there's many that find this one, but you've got this narrow gate, and not many travel this path. Not many go down this way. Now, why do they not go down this way? Well, Jesus tells us, look at verse 14, he tells us, he says this, verse 14, excuse me, verse 14. I just guess I just hit puberty. He goes, verse 14, says this. Into the, uh, verse 13, enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide that is easy that leads to destruction to those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, the way is what? Hard. Can we be honest today? If you are following Jesus, how many of you would acknowledge it's hard sometimes? Man, it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because it's not a place of easy beliefism. It is a place of totally trusting and surrendering my life to Jesus. Turning in my hopes, my dreams, my wishes, my desires, and taking on his hopes, his dreams, and his desires for my life. It is total surrender. And you know why else it's hard? It's because if I'm totally surrendered to him, that means I totally want to obey him. I want to live by the standards. So while I don't really want to love my enemy, I'm going to. While I really don't want to go to my brother and make it right before I come worship God, I'm going to. While I really want to keep all this money and think it's mine and not steward it and not give it to the Lord, I'm not going to. See, though those who go through the narrow gate, they commit to a life of surrender. And with a life of surrender comes a life of obedience. Can I tell you one more thing? And some of you are going to go, oh, I never thought of that. Can I tell you one more reason it's hard? Sometimes following Jesus is lonely. Ever thought about that? 
me ask you this. Can you be following Jesus and be lonely in a room full of people who claim to be following Jesus who are not following Jesus? Yeah, I, you've probably been there, especially this high school students. If you choose to follow Jesus, college students, if you choose to take a step and really follow him, you're going to find that there are going to be people who say they're believers, who say they love Jesus, but when it comes to making real decisions about what it means to follow him, you're going to find yourself all by yourself. And sometimes following Jesus, high school students, middle school students, college students can be lonely. He says the way is hard, but it leads to what? What does this narrow gate lead to? Come on, what does it lead to? Life. Now, when I look at the passage, and I see this wide gate, this attractive gate, this, this gate that's got the bells and the whistles, it's easy. I don't have to overcommit to anything. And then I see this other gate that's narrow, that not many find it, and it's a path of total surrender, a path of total obedience, and sometimes a path of loneliness. And I see that this gate leads to destruction, but yet this gate leads to life. And I began to think about, so many choose this, and few choose this one. And I look at that, and I go, why do people not choose life? But let me think about this way. About a year ago, I went to see my doctor, which I don't go very often. In fact, I don't ever really go. And so I went to see my doctor, and he did all this blood work. And, and I'm just going to give you a conclusion that you probably would never have guessed. He sent me down. Well, I sat on the table, and he said this. He said, Doug, he said, you know, all these blood work is good, all this. But at the end of the day, you know, you might want to lose just a little bit of weight. Right? Anybody heard that talk with your doctor? In fact, he used a word that I'm not sure I enjoyed. Obese somewhere fit into the conversation. I was afraid morbidly obese might even actually come out in the conversation. And so I said to him, Dr. Caldwell, I said, hey, Mike, and he was a friend of mine. I said, hey, Mike, exactly, you know, uh, you know, how much weight really should I lose? And then he asked a great pastoral question. He's like, do you want the truth or do you want me to say what I think you want to hear? I said, no, I want the truth. And he said, you need to lose at least 60 pounds. And so I thought he's probably from the devil and I left. So anyway... Now, let me just ask you this. You, know, you probably didn't notice, but I'm, I'm just a little bit overweight. And so let's just say, for example here, that Ron Jesse comes to me and says, Doug, here's the deal, man. If you want to look like a Greek God like I do, here's what you got to do, okay? You need to work out every day, okay? You need to eat better. You need to change the way you eat. It's going to be hard work, but you've got to change some things in your life if you want to look as good as I do or you want to be healthy, Right? So there's one option. And then let's say somebody else comes to me and they say, hey, Doug, here's what you got to do. You just take this pill. You just take this pill and you don't have to change anything that you eat at all. And the fat will just fall off of you. It's easy. Now, which path do you think Doug's probably going to choose? You think so little of me, right? But you're right. I would choose. How many of us would choose the easy? Because hard is hard. And it's work. And easy. I want easy. I like easy. Because I tell you about easy, it never works, does it? And I'm just telling you, listen to me. For some of you in the room today, you've got to make a real choice today. What gate did you enter in through? Because there's some of you in the room today would say, you know what? I know I'm a follower of Jesus. I entered the narrow gate, but when you look at your life, there's nothing been hard about it. You've not had to make hard decisions. You've not had to take hard stances. You've not been wrestled with your behavior, your attitudes, or your actions. And I would just submit to you, if your life has not been hard and your behavior and your actions and Jesus challenging those things, maybe it's because you didn't go through the narrow gate. Maybe you chose the easy gate. 
And so Jesus has all these followers. And he talks about two gates, and he leaves them with this tension. Which gate are you going to go through? Easy? Boy, it's big. Looks great. But it leads to hell. Or the narrow one. The one that's hard. The one that's surrender. Obedience. But it leads to life. Eternal life. And I think that's a decision every one of us in the room have to ask. Or every question we have to ask. What gate truly did I enter in through? And then he goes on, he talks about the evidence of salvation. In verse 15 through 20, it says this. Verse 15 says this. Beware of false prophets. And this isn't just talking about preachers. He's talking about people that declare a false gospel. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their what? Fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's what Jesus said. There is evidences toward those who are truly his followers. A bad tree produces bad fruit, period. A good tree produces good fruit, period, which begs this question, what fruit is my life producing? Now, here's what some of you are going to say. Well, I don't know. Well, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Ask your boss. They'll tell you. Ask your kids. They'll tell you. Ask people around you. They'll tell you. So the thing I love about this is Jesus was crystal clear. Hey, here's the path. You've got two gates. You've got to pick one. But at the end of the day, know this. If you say you've gone through the narrow gate, your life should bear fruit that you entered through the narrow gate. And so I want to ask all of us, including this rascal on the stage, what evidences are there in our lives that we are truly followers of Christ? Is there a deep commitment to live to the standard that Jesus has given us? Is there a deep desire to love God and to love people? Is there within us a depth to truly live for him? There's got to be evidence. Now, evidence means change. And is it possible what we could gather from this? If there's no fruit... What can we conclude? No what? Salvation. Now, that's not me saying it. That's Jesus. And let me just say this to you. It's not my job to evaluate your life. I'm, I think Jesus, at the very end of this, is asking people to take a look at their own life, put a spiritual mirror and go, which gate did you enter through? Because if it's the wide gate, here's where you're headed. If it's a narrow gate, here's where that leads. But if you say you're going to go through the narrow gate, you need to understand something. Your life should produce evidence. There should be fruit that you follow me. And if there's no fruit, there's no salvation. Can you really call an orange tree an orange tree if it never produces oranges? What would you call an orange tree that doesn't produce oranges? Dead, right? Right? Or diseased. The same thing's true for us. And then he goes to one more thing. And this is, this is the passage that, man, I wrestle with all the time. It just keeps me up. And it's verse 21 through 23. Because Jesus now, after talking about the path of salvation, talking about the evidence of salvation, he lays out the truth about salvation. Look with me in verse 21 through 23. It says this. 
Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, talking about judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never, what? Knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And let me give you, there are two truths in this passage, and you're going to have to listen really closely. Here's the first truth. Just because someone, not all who profess Christ are saved. Not all who profess Christ are saved. And here's what I mean. Not all who say they are Christians are truly Christians. Now, I'm not saying to you, if you, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that somehow Jesus looks at you and goes, no, I reject that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying not everyone who claims to know Christ knows Christ. Amen? Are you with me on that? So not everyone who claims it. Knows it. In fact, Billy Graham was quoted as once saying in his crusades that probably 70% of the people there that claim to know Christ did not know Christ. Now, I don't know how he gauged that. What I know is he was a man of God and, you know, he said it. And so, I mean, he, he met with people. He knew people. And so there may be some truth to that. Because what he was saying is not everyone who says they're Christian is really in the narrow gate. Not everyone who says they're Christian truly has evidence in their life. Not everyone who professes Christ it's truly saved. Now look in verse 21. Let's go back there. It says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they said the right stuff. They know the lingo. You know what the word Lord there means? Lord. One in authority. I mean, he said there's going to be people on that day. They're going to have the right lingo. And then in verse 22, they're not only going to have the right lingo, but they're going to do great things. Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out. When's the last time you cast out a demon outside of your kids? When's the last time? Right? When's the last time you cast out a demon? It didn't happen, right? And he says, and how many, we've done mighty works in your name. So these people know the lingo, and they've done the right stuff. But at the end of the day, here's what we learn. They are deceiving themselves. Somewhere along the line, they thought works was good enough. If you don't believe me, let's go back to verse 22. If you can throw it back up there, Thomas. Verse 22. How do they lead out in their standing in judgment? Do they lead out with, oh, Lord Jesus, I loved you. You saved me. I was wretched. I was blind. I was naked. I was far from you, but you restored me. And because you restored me, look at the life I've lived for you. Is that how they let out? No. How they lead out? Look at all this stuff that I did. Did not prophesy in your name. Did not cast demons out in your name. Did I do mighty works? To somewhere they bought into this fair exchange that if I do enough good and it outweighs the bad, I'll get in. Please hear me. People that fit in this category mistake thinking that doing trumps knowing Jesus. Doing for Jesus never trumps knowing Jesus. Jesus. You can do all you want to do for him, but if you don't know him, it doesn't matter. And see, their thinking on works, their idea of works salvation gave them a false sense of assurance. Now think about that. And see, it's interesting what Jesus says. Jesus tells them exactly, you know, what it means to be saved. He says, the only ones that are saved are those who do the will of my Father. Right? What is the will of the Father? Simple. To know him. To know him. 
Do you understand that salvation is not about religious activity? It's about a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what it's about. Now, let me just say something to you. If I, if I truly know Christ, I will want to live for Christ. Amen? If I know him, I will want to obey him. But if I do works for him and don't know him, I'm still lost. I've got the cart before the horse. I've got it backwards. And so the point that Jesus is making is not everyone who professes, not everyone who calls themselves a follower of me are truly going to get in. You know why? Because they think works is enough. And they don't know me. That word know, I challenge you. If you like to do word study, that's a great word. In fact, take it back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, it's the, it's the Hebrew word yada. And it means the knowing between a husband and a wife. You know, the two shall become what? One it's okay, you can say it in church. Become one what? One flesh. That mean, literally, that, that phrase means the intermingling of the souls. They become one physically, spiritually, and emotionally. They know each other. That's what this word means here too. It's an intimacy that can only be explained supernaturally. That we know him. The people that profess Christ that don't make it is because they never knew him. They may have done a lot of great stuff. But they didn't know him. And then here's the second truth in the passage we see. It's this. is that knowing Christ and practicing sin are incompatible. Look what he says in verse 23. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, depart from me because you didn't know me and you're still practicing sin. See, knowing Christ and practicing sin are incompatible. Now, let me be clear about that. As a believer, do we sin? Yes, you better believe it. All the time. In fact, some of you may have to confess your sin as you walk through the door because you had kids on the way to church, right? Or your spouse got you up too late or whatever. You may have, con- I mean, we, as believers, we sin. There's a difference in wrestling with sin, knowing we sin, and asking God to restore us, and then practicing sin, living in sin. Practicing sin to the point where we see nothing wrong with it, and we're going to continue to live a lifestyle of it. If you want a good commentary on that, in my men's group on Monday night, we're reading 1 John. And we'd all agree that passage will just mess your mind up. He says, if you claim to be in light and in fellowship with him, but yet you walk in darkness, the truth is not in you. Here's what he says. If you claim to know me and love me, but your life and you're living in darkness, you're lying, man. You're lying to yourself. See, knowing Jesus and practicing sin are incompatible. To continue to practice sin, meaning you're active, you're in it, and you see nothing wrong with it, is not an evidence of salvation. It's an evidence of lostness. And so Jesus looks at these people and said, he told them to depart. Can I just tell you that has got to be the worst phrase in all of Scripture? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Now listen, when you leave, you go on vacation, you leave, and you hug and goodbye, you, you're, you're, you're leaving that with this mindset that eventually we're probably going to come back and see each other again, right? Like, I'll go see my mom, and then when I leave, I know that eventually I'm hoping to go back. This is not that kind of moment. This is an eternal moment. On the day of judgment, when Jesus looks at people who said they've entered the narrow gate, yet they have no evidence in their life, and yet they think that their works somehow trump knowing him, and he looks them in the eye and says, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. Can you imagine the depth and the pain and the wretchedness of that moment for many people? I can't. And it just messes with me. It wrecks me. 
But Jesus says that knowing him and practicing sin are incompatible. They are, don't go together. Because if you know him, what do you want to do? Will you sin? Yes. But if I know him, I want to obey him, don't you? If you know him, don't you want to live in obedience to his word? Listen, if you know and love your spouse, don't you want to do things to demonstrate your love for them? Okay, the answer is yes to that in case you didn't answer, right? Let's try that again. If you love your spouse and you know them in that way, isn't it, don't you reflect that in what you do for them in your life? Still not convinced. Okay, so the yes, right? Yes. Because I know him, I want to live for him. That's what should happen. Then Jesus ends this passage. I mean, he's talked about the path of salvation, two gates. He's talked about the evidence of salvation should be in our lives. And then he's talked about the truth of salvation, that it's not about religion or religious activity. It's about relationship. And then he ends this Sermon on the Mount with an illustration. Here it is. Chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Because if it had been founded on the rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it what? Fell. And then he adds on, and great was the fall of it. Jesus tells a story about two builders. They both heard the gospel, both of them. They both built a house. They both built a house in the same area because they experienced the same storms. And they both looked identical. Here's the only difference. One built on the right foundation and one did not build on the right foundation. One was authentic and one was counterfeit. And that's how Jesus leaves them. Drop the mics and walk, walk away. He leaves them with this tension. Now, why would he leave them with this tension? Because he wanted them to realize that I've said a lot of stuff, and some of you are going to say, I'm all in. Some of you are going to think you're all in, but your life is not going to reflect that. At the end of the day, I just want you to know this. You're going to stand before me. And either you're going to spend your life building your house on the rock, or you're going to spend your life building your house on the sand. This one leads to life. That one leads to destruction. So what are you going to build on? Man, what a powerful moment for him to say, peace out and walk away. And the crowd, I would love to have been in the crowd that day. I would love to have seen the murmuring that must have gone on when Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount in this powerful, powerful way. Now, here's why I think he did it. Because those who truly are authentic, those who truly believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God, those who truly take the standards that he taught and say that they need to live their life that way, those who truly enter the narrow gate, produce evidence and bear fruit in their life, those, they're authentic believers. But they're going to be those who go through the broad gate, think all is good, there'll be no evidence, and eventually when they stand before a holy God, their house will come tumbling down. What a moment. Here's my question. What house? Everybody look right here. Everybody look right here. Right here. All eyes right here. What house are you building on? Are you building your house on the rock 
which is truly trusting and surrendering your life to Christ and living a life of obedience? Are you building your house on sand? An easy beliefism, a, a house that looks attractive, but at the end of the day, it is superficial and it will come tumbling down. What house are you building? And when you stand before the Lord, will your house and will my house stand? Now, look, we talk about a lot of stuff every week. I love God's word. You love God's word? I love it. But there's some of there's sometimes it just makes me so uneasy. You know why? Because listen, what we're doing, what we're talking about is not just about the next 50 years of your life. What we're talking about is the rest of your eternity. There's going to be a moment when you stand before the Lord Jesus and you give an account for your life and there are no more second chances. There's a moment, the Bible says, to be absent from the body of the present Lord. There's a point of once for a man to die and then the what? Judgment. That for those who die, they're going to stand in judgment. One day if we don't die, then Jesus will come again. We will stand in judgment. And the question is, will our house stand? Because if it doesn't, the destruction that awaits us is not a temporal destruction. It is an eternal destruction. And if our house stands, what awaits us is eternal life with him forever. So which house are you building? One on the rock? Trusting? Obedience? Are you building a house on the sand? Easy beliefism. Attractive. But superficial. And hollow. Which one are you building? Now I know, as sure as I'm standing here, there are really three kinds of people in the room today. And I, and I, want, I want you to hear me today. So you can close your Bibles, close your notes, because this is where I want you to hear if you're here today and you say this, Doug, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I've surrendered my life to him. I'm living obedience to him. I still blow it, but I love him. Listen, praise God. If you are building your house on the rock, hallelujah. But here's my challenge for believers today. Is your commitment where it ought to be? What about with anger? What about lust? What about with your commitments? What about loving your enemy? What about being a peacemaker? What about your finances? What about how you go to your brother and sister in Christ? I mean, are, are you, are, I'm so thrilled that you're building on the, the rock. But is your commitment where it needs to be? And if it's not, as, we pray, as, we, as I pray in a moment when we start singing, I challenge you to come to this altar. It's going to be open for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this altar is open for you to make a new and a greater commitment to really live for him, to be the salt and the light that he's called you to be. And I challenge you to take that step. And then there's another group of people in the room today. Maybe it's those who don't know Christ. Let me just say this to you. You have a choice to make. Which gate you want to go through. And one looks so good. It's easy. You just believe what you want to believe. You don't have to really overcommit to anything. Just kind of go with the flow. But that doesn't lead to life. Or you can choose the narrow gate. The gate that says, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And I want to live my life in obedience to you. And I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Which gate will you choose? And maybe today, if you don't know Christ today, maybe today, for the first time, you need to surrender your life to him and trust him with everything that's in you. And then there's a third category where many of you might find yourself today, and it's this. Maybe you heard this message today, and what's in your heart is doubt. And let me just say this lovingly. By no means am I trying to create doubt in anybody's heart. In fact, if you sit there today and you look, and this is your conclusion, I want to build my house on the rock, but I don't know if I have. I don't know if I entered the wide gate or the narrow gate. Well, here's what I ask you to do. If you're doubting this morning, go back to the sweetness of that moment 
when you said yes to Christ. Can I just tell you this? There have been times in my life I doubted. Is that okay for me to say that? But I could always go back to when I was nine years old, sitting in vacation Bible school, about six pews back on the very end. And when they shared the gospel, I remember something in me changed. I said, yes, I want that. Now, did I understand what I understand at 45? Absolutely not. In fact, I was probably more mature at nine than I am at 45 because it was simple faith. And it was, I love you, Jesus, period, end of story, be my Lord and my Savior. It's when I got older, I complicated everything. But I can go back to that moment. I know that it was authentic. And so when doubt creeps up, I can always take myself back to that moment. You know what? I don't have to doubt because my fate was secure in that moment. So if you doubt, first of all, if you doubt, I challenge you, go back to the sweetness of that moment. But if your doubt is so heavy and you're like, Doug, I don't know if I can go back to that moment. I'm still struggling. Here's what I'm going to ask you today. I'm going to ask you to nail it down. Don't leave here today not knowing where you're going to spend all of eternity. I've had, you know, I've been in ministry 28 years, and I've had a lot of great, a great moments in my life. I was able to lead all three of my boys to the Lord. I was able to baptize all three of my boys. I was able to baptize my dad, which was an amazing, amazing story. But can I just share with you one of the greatest moments of my life? About a year and a half ago, I was preaching a similar message than this, and we just come back from youth camp. I was talking about nailing down your salvation. And I offered an invitation. I actually had on both sides of the stage, and maybe I should have done this today. I had both sides of the stage. I had set up and had wood that had pre-drilled holes and had nails in it. And, and there was a little space. And so if you want to nail down, you would come up and you would hammer those nails into that wood. And then you'd bend the back of it and you would write the date down and go, today, I nailed it down. Today, I made sure before I left that I knew Christ as my Savior. And I'm just going to tell you, it was such an amazing moment to hear Hammer and nails in the service as we're worshiping the Lord. I, I cannot describe it, but it was unbelievable. And as we're pulling this thing to an end, in the very back, my mom gets up. And she comes all the way down to the front. And I'm going, okay, my mom's 73. Maybe she didn't quite understand the invitation today. I wasn't being ugly, but she's 73. And so... I walked over, and she had tears streaming down her face, and she put her arm around me. Here's what she said. She said, Douglas, that's, that's usually when I was in trouble, but this was a good one. Douglas, I've doubted for too many years, and I'm not leaving today until I nail it down. And I stood right beside my mom, and she nailed into the wood. Well, it was a little more softer than that, but she nailed into the wood, and we bent it over, and she, she still has that piece of wood in her house today. It said on that date, she nailed it down. And it reminded me of this, that you know what? For her, she may get to heaven one day and Jesus says, you know what, no, 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 Betty, it was when you were nine years old. Or may look at her and say, no, 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 it was when you were 73. That's when you really got it. The point of the matter is this. Today, she's a, now, you, you looked at her back then, you would have thought, why is she coming? She has every evidence of someone who loves Jesus in her life. Every, I mean, mom, I remember my mom reading her Bible at nighttime, watching her read her Bible every single night, reading her Sunday school. I mean, I mean, if there was ever a woman, I would have said she bears evidence, it would be her. But in her heart, there was doubt. And it was doubt that she couldn't overcome. And so that day, she just nailed it down. And she has been liberated ever since. And there may be some of you room today, if you doubt, go back to that moment. Can you remember that moment? And if you can't, maybe today you need to nail it down. I don't have wood for you or a nail or a hammer, but I am asking you to nail it down. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to ask Don and Terry, if you'd come stand over here. And Lawrence and Leslie, would you just come over here if you would? And I'll be on the front. Because today's invitation is really important to me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. 
Here's the invitation. If you're a believer and you know behind a shadow of a doubt that your commitment level is not where it should be, this altar is open for you. A place where you can come renew that your commitment to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to be the salt and light you've called me to be. Please do that. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you have a choice to which gate you're going to enter in through. You're going to choose the wide one or the narrow one. And if you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, Lawrence and Leslie on one side and Don and Tara on the other, and I'll be in the middle, would you step out of your seat and just simply say, I need Jesus today? Or if you're here today and you think you're a follower of Jesus, but you have doubt in your heart, and maybe you feel like you need to nail it down, can I just ask you to put aside your pride? Put aside what you may think people will think about you? Because your eternity is way more important than what other people think. And would you nail it down today? Would you step out of your seat? Maybe find your way to Lawrence and Leslie or Don and Terry or myself and say, I just need to nail it down. I just need to know for sure today. So I'm going to ask you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you, if you're a believer in the room today and you feel like you need to up your game as far as your commitment to the Lord, would you just simply raise your hand, put it down? Nobody's looking. Come on, put it up, put it back down. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you say, man, I've never put my faith in Jesus and, and I want to choose the narrow gate. I want to surrender my life to him today. Would you just slip it up, put it back down? Nobody's going to be looking. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Or if you're here today, and this is a really hard one here. Amen. In your heart, you're filled full of doubt. And you know today that you need to nail it down. Would you just put your hand up and right back down? Wow. 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 Please don't leave without doing those things. Believers, come pray. Those who need to know Christ, step out, come. Those, many of you raised your hand saying, I need to nail it down. Would you do it today? Would you come and let them just walk you through what it means to trust him? Let's pray. God, I love you. And man, God, what a moment today to see hands like my mom. They're going up. Let's say, that they are wrestling with doubt and they're struggling. God, help them nail it down today. Help them decide to let go of their pride and step out of their, their aisle and make their way down and say, Lord, would you do something in my life? God, I pray for those who raise their hands and they need to be saved, for those that need to nail it down. May we not leave this moment before we make that decision. Our eternity hangs in the balance. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. May there be a sense of freedom and and liberty in this place today. May people respond not to my words, but to your invitation. Lord, help us respond. For it's in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen, amen. Before we sing, let me say this. Don't sing the first note if you need to trust Christ. Don't sing the first note if you need to nail it down. You step out right where you're at. Find your way. Who cares what anybody thinks? Your eternity is way more important. Don't let this moment pass you by. You move as the Lord would lead you.